Hey guys, Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Thanks so much for downloading this week's radio show in the podcast form. We're on in four of five Big 12 states, and we appreciate you joining us. Now, I want to add this as well. If you want a free Heartland College Sports koozie, all you got to do to keep that beer cold is rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. I will get that koozie in the mail for you. We're giving them away left and right. We appreciate it and enjoy the show. Third and goal at the three, and Iowa State moved at the snap. Skyler Thompson to the goal line, touchdown. I can feel it coming on now as the music plays. Taking shots with the night out. He's at the Baylor 35, the 30, the 25, the 20. It's a foot race to the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. He goes again. David Sills with a 53-yard touchdown reception. We're going all night long, everybody And the Cyclones win it. They have knocked off the number four TCU Hard Frogs. This is not some mirage. When the just kept trying to catch him, and he just kept running away from him. It's 81 yards for McCluskey on the grab. Locked it down the middle for Rodney. It's caught at the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. It's a touchdown! Oh, What is happening, guys? It's Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. As we get ready for another week of the show, Heartland College Sports Weekly, where your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Really appreciate you joining us and uh, being a part of the show because there is so much to get into coming off the college football playoff over the weekend. And, you know, that's where I want to start. So regardless of where or how you're joining us, whether it's the radio, the podcast, YouTube, Facebook, whatever it might be, we appreciate you being a part of the show as we turn it into 2019. It's exciting stuff. we got a lot of great things planned for the new year. But uh, let's talk about this college football playoff. We'll start, of course, with OU, where it is so disappointing with how the Sooners started off this game. Not just defensively, not just giving up, you know, 28 straight points. That's bad, right? I mean, we can all agree on that. But with how slow the offense started off, that's what I I guess was most surprising to me as anything else. Because you know and I know oftentimes how this works, right? The first X amount of plays in a football game for both teams are mapped out. I mean, just perfectly mapped out. And to think that OU goes three and out on its first drive, five plays and punts on its second drive, uh, five plays, turnover on downs on its third drive. Meantime, Alabama goes touchdown, 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 touchdown. It's like the game was over. Um, And I knew the defense. You know, we all knew the defense was going to be bad. If you told me Alabama was going to score 45 points, I would have said, okay, I expect that. My prediction was Alabama 49, Oklahoma 45. I like to think I got somewhat close there, but it's not really the point. The point is, Oklahoma is going to look back on these two seasons with two Heisman winners and come out and say to themselves, geez, we couldn't even get to the national championship game because of our defense. 
You know, and a lot of guys got defensive on Twitter after the game. I saw Kenneth Murray was getting defensive, Curtis Bolton getting defensive. First off, Kenneth Murray was like knocking guys out of bounds and, and pumping his chest when the team's down 28 nothing and you've given up four straight touchdowns. Easy, buddy. I, you know, easy. All right? I mean, and telling – I hate this argument from athletes, and it's not to, to rag on Kenneth Murray, but he put something on Twitter, something along the lines of, uh, basically, you can't do what I do, therefore keep your mouth shut. It's like th- I, that argument from athletes is so old and so worn out and just so inaccurate. You know, I don't have to play the game right now to know that your defense got run over in that opening quarter and a half. It did. All right, and you know what else the game made me realize? Uh, Kyler Murray's not Baker Mayfield. You know, Kyler Murray is a great athlete, a good quarterback, in a great system. Baker Mayfield was a great quarterback, a good athlete, in a great system. And when you're playing in a game of this type of magnitude against a defense like that, I'm sorry, if Baker Mayfield's the quarterback, that team is not down 28 nothing. That's just how I feel about it. Now, I'm hearing a lot of this from the OU fans. Well, we outscored them 34-17 to over the final, uh, what, couple of quarters? Or I guess from 28-0, we outscored them by a final of 34-17, to right? You can't look at it like that. You just can't look at it like that. I mean, come on. You know and I know. When a team's up 28-0, it changes its game plan a little bit. You know, they can give up points. They can change how they're playing defense. They can play more of a prevent style. You know, they can let you score a couple of touchdowns. I'm not saying Alabama did. I think it kept its foot on the pedal. But stylistically, you change what you do. So, you know, this whole, ah, well, you know, if it wasn't for the 28 nothing deficit, we would have won. You, you can't look at it that way. I'm sorry. And I wanted OU to win this game, of course, pulling for the Big 12, wanting to see this conference finally get over that hump and finally get to the conference championship game. Uh, that would have been the time to do it as, you know, I'm, I still think last year stings more against Georgia. But, boy. I went into this game cautiously optimistic, still predicting a loss, but at no point did I see 28-0. If anything, I thought Alabama's defense might get stronger as the game went on, maybe figure things out, catch up to the tempo of what OU was doing, and that's the opposite of what happened. So it was a letdown for OU. I mean, still the Big 12 has not played in a college football playoff championship game since um, since this college football playoff started, and that's upsetting and disappointing. But last year was the year. It doesn't sting like the Georgia game does last year. That was uh, such a crushing loss. But I also think back, and, and I'm, I was thinking about this the other day, it's like which um, year might have actually been the best year for the Big 12 to win a national championship? And I keep strangely coming back to TCU or Baylor in the first year of 2014-15. I I don't know, something about those two teams that were so underrated because they were not traditional powers and traditional blue bloods and because there was no uh, Big 12 championship game and everybody loved Ohio State and Ohio State, to their credit, did win the national championship that year. But I just wonder if that was the year over these last five, six years of the college football playoff that actually was the best opportunity for the Big 12, not just to get to the national championship game, but to win it. 
You know, I mean, we don't know, but I would have loved to have seen it. Nobody wanted to play, especially TCU. Remember TCU then demolished Ole Miss in that Peach Bowl game? Nobody wanted to play TCU that year. And we'll never know what would have happened, but that TCU team, maybe that Baylor team, and then OU last year, those are the best shots. Um, so Oklahoma, you know, goes into the offseason. Lincoln Riley's recruited really well. Um, he's got a great class coming in again, a top 10 class. He's recruited better than Bob Stoops. Got to figure out what he's doing at defensive coordinator. I know there's been some rumblings of names that have come out there and that have been floated about. But if he doesn't get this defense figured out, uh, and don't tell me he can't. I mean, look at what John Heacock's doing at Iowa State. Look at what uh, Todd Orlando did last year and somewhat not as effective this year, but still really good this year. You can play defense in this league and do it well and still have a pretty up-tempo offense. TCU, Gary Patterson. But that side of the ball is just so disappointing for OU, and it's not a talent thing. There are four-star guys. There are a couple of five-star guys. They just don't get coached up. And in hindsight, maybe Lincoln Riley should have cut the cord on Mike Stoops when he got the job, but you know, let's be fair. He couldn't do that. He couldn't fire the brother of the guy that just basically handed him his job on a silver platter. When Bob Stoops retired, that would have been impossible to do. So he was kind of stuck where he was here, but it's still disappointing to look back on this season and these last couple of years and wonder what could have been with just a mediocre defense. Um, so that's kind of where this team stands right now, and, and we'll see. I think OU's going to be fine, but they got to figure out that side of the ball. Now, the other game, I want to touch on this briefly. You know, Clemson blows out Notre Dame, right? And one of the things I said and tweeted out before the college football playoff was that when this weekend wraps up, the conversation's not going to be, should Georgia have gotten in over OU? The conversation's going to be, should Notre Dame have ever been in the college football playoff? And the answer was no. I mean, every time we sit here and we talk about Notre Dame as if, uh, you know, this is 1952, and it's not. And we give this program way the hell too much credit. We do it every single year. And it was clear Notre Dame had no business being on the field with Clemson. It was embarrassing. And you think about this team. Notre Dame is now 0-6 in BCS or New Year's Six Bowls. Uh, they've lost by an average of 24 points per game in those matchups. I, I, enough with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. It's pathetic that we keep giving them credit that they aren't in a conference where we can actually um, evaluate them against some of the great teams in the other conferences. They s insist they got to have somewhat independence. I know they play the ACC schedule, but let's be fair here when it comes to the Irish. They pick and choose who they want to play so they can keep those rivalries against Navy and Army and Air Force. And no offense, anybody that cares about those rivalries has one foot in the grave at this point. Is that fair to say that anybody that cares about Notre Dame playing Navy is is at least collecting Social Security? All right? I mean, this is 2018. Get yourself in a conference because then if you're in a conference, you got to win a conference championship game. You can't just backdoor your way in with this 12-0 record. And I know they had a solid season. I get it. They did play some tough teams. They did win some tough games. But we give that program way too much leeway. And considering the Big 12 was basically forced to put together a Big 12 championship game, which I'm glad that they did. It's worked out well for this conference. Uh, the fact that Notre Dame is not held to the same standard and does its own thing because it wants to 
is uh, beyond disappointing, a massive letdown, and frankly, it's uh, it's pathetic that the hierarchy in college football doesn't take a stronger stand against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I'm Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. Well, some more coaching news in the Big 12. What do we make of this latest news involving Dana Holgerson and the Mountaineers? We'll talk about it coming up right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Well, it's suddenly and somewhat surprisingly been a very busy few days for the Big 12 on the coaching front. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you being a part of the show. So the biggest news over the past bunch of days circles around Dana Holgerson. You know, it was interesting. When I saw that Dana Holgerson was up for the Texas Tech job, or at least was uh, rumored to be, a name in the conversation for that job after Cliff Kingsbury was shown the door, I was surprised. You know, I said, all right, Dana's obviously got ties and everything like that, but it just, it didn't make sense to make a lateral move in the conference. It's not like going West Virginia to OU or Texas. It was once again, a lateral move and the whole thing was kind of weird. And then this past weekend, start hearing rumors about Dana Holgerson and Houston. Uh, reports started surfacing. I talked to a bunch of people, and they said, yeah, this is legit. And it still didn't make any sense. Why would a guy go from a Power 5 school where he's got a good job to a Group of 5 school? I know Houston's a top-tier Group of 5 school, but still, it didn't make any sense. And then, as I started to get more color on what was going on, what was happening here is the fact that well, basically, West Virginia was okay with this and maybe wanted this deep down. You know, it's been well documented, at least to me, that Shane Lyons, the AD, and Dana Holgerson aren't buddy-buddy, don't see eye-to-eye. And while I always thought that Dana Holgerson's personality, temperament, style was a great fit for Morgantown, Shane Lyons has a different idea, different opinion. He thinks this is a team, this is a program. Lyons comes by way of Alabama, who should be competing for Big 12 titles. And everything I heard was basically that uh, Dana was uh, had a defeatist attitude on a lot of things. You know, it was like he didn't think they could ever compete consistently with Oklahoma and Texas. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But as a head coach, you're not supposed to be saying that when you're making three, three and a half million dollars a year. No one wants to hear about what you can't do. When you're getting all the resources that you apparently need, nobody wants to hear about how, well, we can't do this or we can't do that. It's like, well, let's try to do this or try to do that. And to be fair, Dana Holgerson never recruited well. And he couldn't develop a quarterback to save his life. His best quarterbacks, Geno Smith, he walked into, and Will Greer transferred from Florida. And from what I heard, that was a big part of Clint Trickett, who got Will Greer to transfer to Florida. It wasn't even necessarily the coaching staff. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of floating out there that basically made it apparent to me that West Virginia was more than okay with this happening, if not wanting it to happen. And Shane Lyons was basically saying, you know what? Uh, you might lose your job next year, and this is not what he actually said. I'm just kind of speaking in generalities and probably what was going through his head. 
West Virginia was going into a year where they were going to lose Greer and Jennings and David Long and what was next year going to be in the very deep Big 12, a 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five year? After going 8-4, and four, a year that you were supposed to compete at the top of the Big 12, is that something that uh, Mountaineers fans and the hierarchy there at West Virginia would have been happy with? Probably not. So Dana might have just said, you know what, it's time to get out of Dodge. Time to get out of town and start fresh and start new and move on. And if Houston wants to pay me $4 million a year, which is what the numbers are reported being, that would make him the highest group of five head coach, being a place that he knows, that he worked for at a bunch of years, um, that obviously has a very fertile recruiting ground. So be it. You know, he gets to kind of hit the reset button, spend as much time there as he wants. He might have other power five opportunities open up in his future, and away you go. But it did start to feel stale this year for Dana Holgerson. It didn't go as planned. Whether you want to blame him or Jake Spavadol or whether or not he should have handed over the um, the play-calling reins to Spavadol prior to the 2017 season is something we can talk about ad nauseum. But regardless, it didn't feel right this year. It didn't feel fresh this year. And it probably ends up being best for both parties that this ends up happening. As for who's next, you know, I don't want to speculate because uh, this show does get carried different places, different times. But we'll certainly have a full analysis of that when we do get an answer on uh, what's happening here in Morgantown. The other interesting news on that Houston job, Cliff Kingsbury, of course, the former Texas Tech head coach, apparently declined a very lucrative offer to be the next head coach of the Cougars. Not surprised by that. You know, Cliff Kingsbury would be better off spending some time at USC, being an offensive coordinator at a blue blood. I mean, if Cliff Kingsbury can turn around that offense, he's going to have so much on the table for him. Apparently, the guy already had opportunities to go to the NFL as a coordinator in some way, shape, or form. If he goes to USC, takes JT Daniels, turns him into a superstar, turns around that entire offense, gets it on track. He's going to have coaching opportunities that are better than group of five like Houston. I mean, he'll have power five opportunities back in his lap. He'll be able to say, I learned a lot during my time as a head coach at Texas Tech. Maybe I was a little green. Maybe I was a little young. He's still younger than the vast majority of head coaches. Uh, you know, what is he? Is he 40 yet? I'd have to look it up. Let me see here real quick. Cliff Kingsbury, is he even 40 yet? If not, he's 39. Uh, he's a young guy. So it's somebody that uh, he's got a very long future in this thing, and there's no reason to rush to it. All right, Cliff Kingsbury's 39. He'll be 40 in August. August, baby, just like me. I love it. Um, but, yeah, there's, there was no reason for him to rush back and take that Houston job. Also, it just kind of looks bad, you know. It's kind of like what happened with Manny Diaz. The guy takes the Temple head coaching job, and now he's going back to Miami because Mark Rick retired. It just – I don't think that looks good on somebody. I know it's an extenuating circumstance. I know Diaz has strong ties to Miami. But it's just a bad look all around for him. So uh, you don't want to be that guy, especially as you're trying to restart and redo your image, which is what Cliff Kingsbury is trying to do. So – Enjoy L.A., uh, have some fun out there. A job like Houston will be there for you whenever you want it. That's, that's the reality. Um, and then also, you had Matt Campbell, who continues to get talked about for every job under the sun. And now, he declines a request by the New York Jets for an interview. Now, it's not, not surprising that he declined a request. I, I, I thought he might be interested in at least 
taking the interview. You know, when an NFL head coach calls in the number one market with a young top-tier quarterback in Sam Darnold, maybe you at least take the phone call and, and do the interview for a learning experience. But that's not even the surprising part to me. The surprising part is that the NFL is now on the Matt Campbell. Maybe I shouldn't be shocked because the lines have become so blurred between college and the NFL now that, you know, guys go back and forth. The college game is becoming a bigger part of the NFL game. We know that. So maybe I'm not surprised, uh, but it's more surprising than the fact that Campbell turned it down because Matt Campbell's words or his actions continue to speak louder than his words, where he is told us time and time again, I'm here for the long haul. I'm here to do this. I'm here for this Iowa State Cyclones program. And we all in the media, myself included, always say, well, maybe not. Maybe there's something out there that could entice him, whether it's an Ohio State, a Notre Dame, heck, an NFL job. And he just said, no, I'm not even interviewing for it. I know the Jets are a disaster, but it's New York and you got Sam Darnold. You got something to work with there. And the fact that he said thanks but no thanks, gosh, this guy's awesome. <laughs> I hate to put it so bluntly, but how would you not want this guy to be your head coach? Iowa State is so fortunate and so lucky to have this guy, and I hope that they never forget that. Um, it is scary that the NFL is on to him because maybe one year one team makes a call that is too good to pass up. I don't know. Uh, Ohio guy, I mean, if the Cleveland Browns ever called with Baker Mayfield, would he take that phone call? I don't know. I'm just speculating. But what he has done in Ames is so ridiculously impressive, I don't even know what to say. It's just, it is that good. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, coming up, some other coaching news in the conference I want to touch on. We'll get to it next. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about teams that I'm most intrigued by coming off a of bowl season and going into 2019. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much for uh, being a part of the show. So, you know, we can talk about Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, we know that they're going to be in the conversation as long as Lincoln Riley's in town and, frankly, I think as long as Tom Herman's in town. Those guys have solidified themselves as now year in, year out, top of the Big 12 discussions. Not that they're going to win it or they're always going to be in the uh, Big 12 championship game, but they're obviously in the discussion. I even think you just throw Iowa State into that discussion right now. As much as I love the Cyclones, I, I don't think that it's surprising to you that I would say Iowa State is a force to be reckoned with moving forward. I, I know they're losing some key pieces, but to have Campbell, the continuity there, having your quarterback in Brock Purdy, there's so much to like about the future in Ames, right? That's not surprising. But coming off of bowl season, two teams and their two rivals that I am so intrigued by over these next uh, bunch of months and going into the 2019 season is Baylor and TCU. You know, we talked about these two teams earlier and what could have been in 2014-2015 regarding uh, their chances of not just reaching the college football playoff, but maybe reaching a national championship had the Big 12 had a championship game back then uh, in that first year of the college football playoff. Who knows how things might have been different. Um, you know, TCU obviously was in the Big 12 championship game last year. They were never going to make the college football playoff, but they were in the Big 12 championship game. We know the disaster that has been Baylor football and what has gone on there at the end of our Bryles 
transitioning to Matt Rule with Jim Grobe in between. Uh, it's been a rough two and a half, three years for this program. But I look at these two teams, and I see them both winning their bowl games. You know, TCU with that ugly, I mean, what a hideous cheese at bowl it was. But, hey, it was an ugly win, but that's what Gary Patterson did with this team down the stretch. Despite 25 to 30 injuries, they won their last couple of games. They closed the season with a three-game winning streak. They go into 2019 with young guys that got a lot of experience, and they have momentum into the offseason. That's huge. It's exciting. And you know what? The guy's the best coach in the conference. I don't care what anybody says about Lincoln Riley, who I love, Tom Herman, and Matt Campbell, I, I, who I have an affinity for. If I have one guy, give me one guy in this conference to run a program and on top of that to coach a team on game day, I'm taking Gary Patterson every time. I'm sorry. That's what I'm doing. Uh, so you have that aspect there. Then you go to Matt Rule at Baylor. To, this has been as under-discussed. To take a program from one win to seven, beat an SEC team like Vanderbilt in the process, put up a ton of points, there's still work to be done there, right? Uh, we all know that. That's not surprising to you. It's not surprising to me, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But with what Matt Rule has been able to do with this program in a short period of time, I mean, I'm still hearing his name talked about for potential NFL jobs. Remember, it was discussed last year for the Colts job. That came out of nowhere. It didn't go anywhere, but his name was talked about. The fact that his name is coming up for NFL jobs, um, on top of the fact that you have Matt Campbell's name coming up for NFL jobs, what does that tell you? I mean, what other conference has middle-tier coaches and I say middle tier in the sense of they're not winning conference championship games or conference championships year after year, right? This isn't Nick Saban in the SEC. Uh, this isn't Dabo Sweeney in the ACC. It's not Urban Meyer. These are guys that have not won or even been in a conference championship game, and they're getting calls from NFL programs. That tells me that this conference is in great shape. When you're middle of the pack, and okay, oh, Iowa State fans, don't get offended. I know you finished third in the Big 12. I get it. I'm not saying you're necessarily middle of the pack, but still, there's a hump to get over there. Um, but when your guys like Iowa State and Baylor are finishing with seven, eight, nine wins, not even getting to the conference championship game, and getting talked about, rumored about, interview requests for NFL jobs, I, you couldn't pay for that type of publicity. I, that is just unbelievable when you think about uh, where this conference is right now. So I know the turnover is great this year. You know, four new head coaches in this conference. You have Les Miles at Kansas, Kleiman at uh, K-State, Wells at Texas Tech, and, um, you know, turnover, of course, at West Virginia. But when you – are able to now look at the guys that are coming back. I'm intrigued to see, too, who takes that mantle of kind of leader in this conference, right? You know, with a guy like Bill Snyder gone, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a guy who was here for basically 30 years. Is Who's going to replace him? Who's going to be that person that's, that's that Bill Snyder in the conference, you know? It could have been Bob Stoops, but he's not there anymore. Is it, I mean, is Lincoln Riley too young? Is Tom Herman too young for that role? You know, Matt Campbell's a young guy, too. Where do you go? I mean, Les Miles is kind of goofy. I like him. He's a great soundbite, a great interview. 
but he's running Kansas football. Can you really be uh, a leader uh, um, in the conference when it comes to you know coaching and whatnot when you're the head coach of Kansas football, which has won, what, six games in three years or something like that? I mean, can you really be that guy? I don't know. I, I'd argue you couldn't be, not yet at least. So it's, it's very interesting to watch. I still think it's Gary Patterson, you know, Mike Gundy. Those are the two guys I point to. I think Patterson's more interested in that than Gundy is. Mike Gundy wants to coach his team, and, you know, uh, that's about it, and give you a couple of funny sound bites. I don't think he's really interested in many ways. I know he's done the Sports Center stuff, but is he truly interested in, in going out there and, and uh, vouching for the conference, vouching for the conference day in, day out on a national level? I don't see him doing that. Gary Patterson does it. He does it well. And by the way, let me add this. Um, the Coach's Room broadcast I was into last year during the OU Georgia game because Gary Patterson was so damn good. He was fantastic. This year, unfortunately, they have him in there with Herm Edwards, who just won't shut up. I mean, Herm Edwards, the guy's been in college football for a hot minute. He hasn't seen either of these two teams ever play in Oklahoma and Alabama, and he's talking the most. It's like, dude, you have you've barely been in college football. You haven't done anything to warrant talking this much. Gary Patterson has played OU three times in the past year and a half. Can we hear from him and not from you? And then it was, what, Brian Harson, I think, and the other guy was um, uh, at BC. Steve Adazio, who I have a lot of respect for. But I was just shocked to see this going on with these two guys and the fact that you couldn't get Herm Edwards to shut up. I hope ESPN does not invite this guy back next year because that was a disaster. That was a total mess. Um, But I'm really interested to see what the future of this conference is going to media days next year. And we talk about guys in the NFL. Uh, Lincoln Riley has made it pretty clear that he's not going anywhere. Uh, He addressed it over the weekend. He told reporters he's staying in Norman. And he's going to win a national championship there. He's not dying to go to the NFL. And why would you die to go to the NFL? I'm sorry. You can make the same money now, more or less. And you get blown out in the NFL after two years. Look at Adam Gase in in, uh, Miami. I mean, you're constantly moving your family. Unless you're Bill Belichick, you know, what's what's a good tenure? Five years? Lincoln Riley can do this for 20 if he wants. No one's going to give him a hard time. No one's going to think twice about it. It's it's a totally different game. So I'm not shocked that guys like Lincoln Riley are saying, you know, the NFL can wait. I don't need to do this right now. I'm not interested in doing this right now. Maybe one day, kids are older, out of the house. He's won a couple of national championships. He wants to try his hand at the NFL. But when you're in your mid-30s, and you got a great thing going in Norman, a family-friendly place to raise raise kids and whatnot. Why would you mess with that? Why would you do it? I, I don't understand it. Riley's making the right call, just like I think Matt Campbell in many ways is making the right call. Although I thought he might at least take the phone call, but he said, no, not right now. I'm not doing it. So a lot to like. I know the Big 12 didn't get to the national championship game again, but a lot to like about where this conference is, where it's going, what's going to be happening over the next several weeks in recruiting, a couple of months as we get the spring ball, and then head into the 2019 season. It's going to be a lot of fun. So Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. We have turned the calendar to 2019. You guys are fantastic. We have grown this show exponentially over the past year. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. 
please do uh, subscribe to the podcast, listen to the radio show. We're on YouTube as well. Check us out there. Um, thank you so much, guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. And once again, guys, please do rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Send me a screenshot of that review to Pete Mundo, M U N D O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and I'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. I appreciate that. We have grown this thing exponentially over the past year or so because of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.